0: Welcome to the Woman Who Rubs the Mountain podcast, a gathering place for conversations and stories of ecological embodiment. I'm your host and guide, Kendra Ward. We're beginning with this single question to ground us and put us in place. What happens when we rub on the body of the earth? How does the earth brush back against us? Here we seek an intimacy, a love affair with the land and beings where we live. Let us come together in creative, strange, disruptive ways of relating beyond the human-centric limitations of our current dreaming. It's my hope that by sharing experiences of embodied ecology, our reality shifts, our core truths sharpen, and space is made for a new, old, earth honoring culture to reemerge. So let us just take a moment to feel into and connect with the land wherever you are, filling into the soil and its many kin networks of beings, and just giving thanks for the way this place silently, or not so silently, buoys you in your life. Let us acknowledge the larger geographies the big sacred intelligences, the rivers and hills, the trees and clouds, all that we don't just live with, but live in. Let us just take a moment with our hands on our hearts to bring the presence of these vast frisky creators into this conversation, into our stilling, into our speaking, into our listening. Well, I am honored to be in conversation today with teacher and author, Rachel Corby. Rachel is a medicine woman, a plant whisperer, rewilding coach, sacred plant medicine practitioner and facilitator, and a permaculture gardener. She leads shamanic plant journey groups and runs workshops encouraging the development of relationships with plant spirits. Rachel is the author of four beautiful books, which I'll be leaving all of the info for in our show notes. She has dedicated her life to sharing love and respect for our fellow species on this planet, for Gaia, the living, breathing, sentient organism of which we are an inseparable part. Well, welcome, Rachel. So lovely to be in conversation with you today.
1: Hi, Kendra. And thank you so much for having me on. It's such a, it's so great. It's such an honor for me to be here too. So thank you.
0: Well, I would, I'd love to ground us in learning more about the land where you live and how you find intimacy with this place and how this place finds intimacy with you and dreams you up into being.
1: Mm, what a lovely question. Um, Yes, I live in the Cotswolds, which is in the west of England. And I've lived here for uh, 20 years. This year it will be 20 years. And for most of that time, I was running around everywhere else. And then came along in 2020. We all know what happened in 2020. And I was forced to sit still. And although I had spent so much time learning how to connect with land it's really this land that then I became or the land became me Um, because when you're running from place to place and going oh jumping on a plane and going to this country and then that country and then loving it when you arrive and taking your shoes off and getting your feet down there in the dust and and going wow, wow, this is amazing. And and giving my greetings to each piece of land I stood upon and, and welcoming, welcoming, well, you know, feeling their welcome upon me. Um, I just didn't really do it here. I didn't belong here because I was too busy running around. So this last three years has been such an incredible and eye-opening journey of, of being here, of really being here. And I always, I mean, it makes me sound like I I was really dislocated before. I wasn't, but it's just a new level, a new sense, a new deepening of that belonging. And I mean, it comes to me, yeah, I've just mentioned standing barefoot, standing out in the rain with your face, receiving those precious raindrops um, or the precious sunshine. Um, But what I really find more than anything else where the land is kind of holding me and then claiming me from the inside is when I touch the leaves and the flowers and the fruits and I take them inside my body to sustain me, to nourish me, to be my medicine and that's when I just feel that level of deepening and belonging really really accentuate because I feel they are my community those plants are my community and they stand under all the weathers that I stand under and you know when the dark you know the dark nights are super long we're starting to get the light is coming back more and more each day now so each day is stretching out noticeably um it's, I don't think the sun's setting till about half five at the moment which is incredible from, you know from from a few weeks ago when it was so early um and all the plants that live here experience that too and so it's just that I, I don't know, that sharing of common experience that, that makes you know you belong so deeply and the land shaping me through me consuming those and imagining me into being because my flesh is imagined into being by exactly those nutrients. I mean, I'm calling them nutrients, but you know, the the leaves and berries and fruits that that grow on this land and that I tend to and that I, you know, I encourage along as much as I can Mm. that's where I find myself
0: beautiful I um even thinking about it from the sheer life force perspective you know Mm. the the gathering of sunlight and the the beautiful life force of all those beings then entering your life force as well
1: yeah yeah
0: well your social media name or handle is Mugwort Dreamer and yes. you know speaking of creating connection in particular with our native or local family and kin um it sounds like you just have a really special connection to Mugwort and I was wondering if you'd be willing to share a little bit about that with us
1: Absolutely yes um magwa is well was one of the first plant spirits that i i consciously connected with that i i was being guided i was doing a course by um elliot cohen who passed away actually this time last year about this time last year and um he had come over to the uk to teach um, plant spirit medicine and i was one of the people on the course And very instrumental to his format of medicine is is a relationship with mugwort. So we went and sat with mugwort, spent the day studying mugwort. And then we came back in and he drummed for us while we did a shamanic journey to really ask mugwort to help us um, kind of... um, solidify what it was we wanted to achieve as a as a healer kind of help us clarify in our own minds and then kind of make a commitment to that and um, so during that process my wife said to me well you're not going to actually give people medicine to their bodies as in you know they'll come to you for a treatment and they'll go out feeling much better and their eczema will have gone that's not how it's going to work. When they come to you, you're going to drum from the drum for them, and you're going to teach them how to meet us like you have just met me. So it was like, wow, okay, that wasn't quite what I was expecting. I was expecting to be there with my treatment couch and kind of doing all that sort of thing, but I was really directed, and my relationship with Mugwort has gone on from there as being one of it's almost like Mugwort is my mentor, and will guide me and lead me to the things that I need to do. Um, At the moment, I'm very much kind of taking a deep dive into indigenous medicine here in the UK because I feel like there's not enough emphasis on it. People are are waking up very much to plant medicines and having that in their lives, but it's very much been led by um, cow-cow ceremonies. It's been led by um, ayahuasca ceremonies which are great and important medicines. And it's great that people have had their eyes open. But then the, I was starting to, I was actually starting to get frustrated. I was like, oh my word. I kept getting people phoning up and going, do you do med- plant medicine ceremonies? I go, yes, I'm doing one with um, dandelion next week. And they'll be like, oh, I was hoping for ayahuasca. And I was going, oh, but don't miss out. Wisdom of dandelion. And the, and and people kind of weren't getting it. So Margaret, um asked me last autumn, let's do a mugwort ceremony and do it throughout the wheel of the year starting on equinox autumn equinox and so that's what I've been doing and um that was again it was led by mugwort you know mugwort asked me to do it and it's been great it's been it's been a great deepening for me and a kind of a constant renewal of my relationship on you know on a six weekly basis for, by doing this and sharing it with people, and and I think it is really kind of stretching out into my local community. People thinking more about work now, so that's that's really lovely. And actually, mugwort helped me write my last book because I was it was going to be a pamphlet. It was going to be a really short, like fifty-page book, and it's now like it it, it was published at about two hundred and fifty pages. But that's because mugwort said you can't give that bit without this bit, and just like basically gave me like another couple of hundred pages. <laughs> it's incredible how you can you know I know you had Sarah Artemisia on recently on the podcast and she's obviously been working a lot with plant spirits as well so she she will know and I, I don't know how much you work Kendra or how much your listeners work with plants but how over the years like 20 years you keep working with that same plant it's like having it's like having a really good friend you know, it's mm-hmm. having someone on your team that's there and that's like, come on, let's do this together. Let's do this together. So, so that's me and Mugworth.
0: Beautiful. What an amazing relationship that's been conjured there and the um, all the help that you've received along the way. Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, really. Well, Fabulous. I've noticed as part of the apprenticeship that you offer, amongst other things, that you teach on something you call shape-shifting, which is Mm. the best word. So I'm wondering (laughs) what this means to you um, and how it relates to a sense of wild unlearning. Sure. Well, shape-shifting
1: is for me, for what it means to me, is the change from one state to another. So I guess it works on many different levels. It could be cellular, a, a cell, from a healthy cell to a cancerous cell, for example, or um, you could have a cluster of cells that then becomes a human baby that then becomes an old person that then dies and goes back to the earth. So all of that is a shape shift because it's gone from one state of being to another state of being. Um, It can also be a change of of mind, a change of state of mind. and I, I think when I'm talking about rewilding, in, the, in, the, in my rewilding apprenticeship, I'm basically taking people who are domesticated. I mean, we all are. We kind of grew from, from wild little babies that came out of the womb to sort of being quite quickly put in clothes and playing with plastic toys in a house. Um, and, and with every step along that route was a step away from our wild beginnings, you know, with every new toy we had or every screen put in front of us was a step away from, from where we really belong and we really came from. So it's kind of taking, trying to strip some of that away and bringing us back. So instead of being an isolated human where we're kind of sat there surrounded in our little square room, surrounded by other little boxes that tell tell us things, little electronic ones a lot of the time, Um, So we are quite isolated as human to being part of a community that is so much more than just human. Um, That's kind of the shape shift that I'm talking about there. It's kind of taking yourself away from someone perhaps who's quite nervous or frightened of even being outside or who doesn't understand or um, has never experienced a kind of two-way relationship with a plant or with an, any other more than human being. Perhaps they have, but they haven't just, um, well, of course they have, but they haven't perhaps just put their consciousness on that and realised that's what was happening. So it's to kind of bring people from that way of thinking and being to one where they really are part of a conscious wild guy and community Um which is so much so much broader than than simple human and it and it and it works on the physical as well so you're you're kind of when you're feeding your body with the wild leaves and you're getting all the bacteria on them so you're giving yourself gut health and you, you're becoming um you know I just think back to my childhood and um through no fault of my parents it sounds like I'm going to be blaming them but I was eating all the foods of the 70s you know and some of that was I mean we have this stuff over here angel delight I don't even know what it is but it just kind of is this pink blobby stuff that tastes kind of great when you're seven but I mean has no relation to anything that comes fresh from this planet so kind of taking yourself away from that background that kind of food to something that is fresh strawberries when they're in season or fresh raspberries or any of the other berries or leaves that even now just outside my front door this morning I was just kind of because outside my back door I've now got a dog so I don't forage in my back garden the way that I used to but in my front garden he doesn't go in there and I just saw the beautiful red veined sorrel and some Um, hedge garlic and some dandelion leaves and some calendula flowers all there right just they're all quite small still but they're all edible right now and I was like wow this is just this is the garden of Eden this is just delicious and it's amazing and and so it's turning I would say part of that shape-shifting is turning somebody's eyes from somebody who thinks oh crikey I need to weed my front garden because the flowers will be coming soon and look at that mess to going wow like that's dinner (laughs) You know, not only is it dinner, but that is um, my family. So, yeah.
0: Well, I was wondering if we could tune into the special challenges, maybe even the gifts at times of living in a city or places that are highly humanly impacted and still finding ways of knowing yourself as interwoven in the web of life. So I've heard, heard many different opinions and ideas around, um, not know, the difficulties but also the potentials, uh, the realities that that many humans are living in very you know intensely humanly impacted places. So I have this sense that the rivers and mountains and valleys and ancient stones that these local geographies are not just the movement of chi through the earth, but also these big spirits, these gods and goddesses, these grandmothers and grandfathers that are actively informing our lives. And I feel like it's these matrices of their consciousness that literally create the scaffolding on which our planet exists. But the lives of these old ones are increasingly impacted by humans, um, you know, just through pollution or just by there being more human bodies in these places. And it feels to me like the secret intelligences of the world get crowded out or disappear or sort of go underground um, the same way that when an animal goes extinct, um, you know, that the the energies and the, the secret genius of that animal uh, is lost to us. So it, it feels kind of complicated, but also important because there's so, so many people who are living in cities, but also have a longing to feel interwoven with all of life. So I'm wondering how you teach on, on that particular conundrum. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I mean it is really interesting isn't it because um yeah I mean I'm just thinking of the, the the major city that I've lived in which is London which is built on um a major river um which rises actually not that far from where I live and um I think now that River Thames is is much cleaner than it perhaps was at a certain point in time certainly when people were I was going to say when they were throwing raw sewage in it but there's a whole issue with sewage and this country and and watercourses which is which is so horrific um so horrific they they you know it's it's pollution is pretty bad here but um anyway the 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 kind of sacred nature of that river initially perhaps was still respected, whereas most people now, they might not throw their plastic bottles in, which they might have done 20 years ago, but um, it is still, you know, like you say, not not so much respected or listened to. And if you're somebody who lives out in the high country or, or, you know, somebody who gets the opportunity to be in wilder land and will sit with a stream or with a rising spring or with a huge raging river and just say their prayers of of gratitude and they'll take time to listen to what the river has to say back to them and you just think how is someone going to do that in the city while you've got all these taxi cabs driving behind them making loads of noise and the buses and the people and the dirt and because it's just so dirty in so many of the cities just from the uh, from the particulate pollution isn't it as it lands on the um, surfaces as leaving so such a grey, dirty old mess but um one of the things I think is that once you start touching the lives once the people in who are really urban dwellers have this sense of um, companionship and knowing of the sentience of the other living beings they are in this wonderful and unique position because I mean I live I live in a town that's on the countryside edge so you know I'm still my friend I actually went to a friend's birthday at the weekend and she was laughing at me as the big city girl because I came like a 10 minute drive out into the countryside where she lives and she goes oh no we don't go into the big city anymore but it's not it's it's like 30,000 people but I have lived in a city and I do teach quite a lot of people who still obviously live in cities at 80% of the world's population is urban dwelling. So, um, if you think about it, if I wanted to gather some people to go and say some prayers at the my local, we've got this lovely, little. it's called The Heavens, actually, this lovely little um, sort of cascade and, and little stream that comes off that. Um, into the local river so perhaps i could gather you know five ten ladies or, or people in general um who'd like to come and sit with me and say prayers to the water and say thanks to the water uh, maybe if i lived further out up in north wales or even in scotland somewhere i would do that perhaps by myself if i lived in london it would be really easy for me to gather maybe 50 people or 100 people who would be willing to do that because you've got access to so many more people so i feel like that's part of it you can you can gather more people and you can touch more human lives when you when you want to reconnect with with the more than human lives so finding a way to I mean, I think that's one of the gifts is that you you can kind of it can it can become stronger very quickly through spreading the word and and when I've sent people back in who have been to a dandelion <laughs> a dandelion celebration and been very happy about what they've learnt there and going back into the city and sharing that with all their friends and and going you know next time we go to the park you think differently when you see that dandelion. Um, and the ancient wisdom of the stones, the bedrock, and the and the and the soil. I mean, that's what I really cry for. I think is the soil because I mean, it's it's all buried. It's buried underneath concrete, um, and there is so much life and wisdom there. But I think the more um, people are bringing their conscious awareness to their their fact that they are part of a matrix of of living conscious life, then the more people will make that connect and want to heal the land and give the land an opportunity to speak and to sit and listen or to all any and all of the um, inhabitants of that land. I always felt like I always remember um not that long ago, a couple of years ago, um I was visiting a friend and she lived in a social high rise, social housing block. And I was leaving her house um, to go to the tube to get back out of London. And it was quite early in the morning and there was a dirty little puddle at the side of the road by the pavement. And this little bird was bathing in this dirt. And I thought, you know, life goes on and, and it's harder. But it's still there so what do we do we feed it with our love and we thank it for being there and we help each other clear it up you know okay that bird didn't put the dirt there in the first place but once you start like paying attention and and falling in love with everything around you you can't help but take care of it a little bit more so I think the opportunities are vast in cities and I think that's you know city dwellers have got such an opportunity at their fingertips to make life better for all beings because they are in touch with so many more people my my network of people here is is quite small because the population here is small but you know you get to a city of you know 10,000 people or whatever then you've not (laughs) 10,000 you know to you know million people or more you know suddenly you've got all of those networks and connections to to work for you can be like mycelium running through the population changing people's minds so yeah
0: I had that exact thought as you were speaking the mycelial networks just running through the cities like mad uh spreading you know to to, through all the humans um yeah so that's beautiful I really appreciate your perspective on that and and just being able to tune into the gift aspect instead of just feeling overwhelmed by the difficulty of it, but instead tuning into the potential, the opportunity that mm-hmm. exists there. So thank you for that. Um, well, I'm also curious to tune into another aspect of this, which is when we... Um, are in really humanly, highly humanly impacted spaces, it can um, I feel like without the returning the familiarity of being in spaces then that maybe carry the resonance of, the trees or uh the animal beings like that they get to be the ones whose resonance is stronger so for example like you you walk through a forest and it's not the resonance of like you said car horns it's not the resonance of like all of that human created noise but instead it's the resonance of the giant meditators it's the resonance of um the families and networks of beings that are there um that being said, sometimes I think that that experience can bring a certain fear out in people. This sense that wilderness means will or self-willed or un- uncontrollable, or that wilderness is sort of um, you know this, this links back to this the the word etymology of like wilderness as a savage beast, and I've read that you know, some of our agricultural ancestors might have developed this fear over time, you know, having their crops continuously susceptible to forces that feel very uncontrollable, pests and droughts and other natural misfortunes and um, the, the this fearful attitude of all that is out of our human control. And so, you know, feeling as though of mm, tuning into this this quiet fear, you know, and some of it is intelligence. I feel like as a woman walking the forest, there's a, a natural intelligent fear that arises or, um, you know, for example, where I live, there are <laughs> beings like bobcats or, you know, rumors of mountain lions, um, you know, the the some of the natural fear that can arise in, in being in really, uh particularly wild spaces, but I thought that we'd just maybe tune into the complexity of this fear mm-hmm. that can arise and and also in that complexity, um, the difficulty of ideas of wilderness, um, an idea of wilderness as an opportunity to have it be something that continually is separate from us. Um, mm. that's in it's entirely more, exotic than our human selves and um yeah just you know I I feel like the flip sides to all of it uh so I'm I'm curious in in your teaching if this fear of being in a forest or being in so and so-called wilder places if you see that arise in people and um and how you teach to that
1: yeah absolutely I see it arise absolutely I I've had people who who are, I would say, kind of terrified, actually, of, of anything that, you know, of even sitting on the grass, you know. They, and, and here in the UK, um, that really isn't, we don't have bobcats, we don't have coyotes, We, I mean, we've got foxes and badgers, we've got a few reintroduced beavers, um, we've got some... Um, yeah, I mean I don't think we've got an adder. I, we haven't really got anything that will kill you, basically. I mean, we might have, you know, if you're really unfortunate, maybe in the wrong place at the wrong time, but it, I've never heard of anybody being killed by a wild animal. Um a domestic dog, yes, but um a wild animal in the UK, no. Um we, we kind of killed them, killed anything that would kill us, um, unfortunately, a very long time ago. So um so fear of the wild where I live is generally irrational but you tend to be afraid of of things that you like you said that you sort of don't have the control over or you don't feel equipped to deal with um, and I think and and part of that is familiarity familiarity so lack of familiarity so for every person I know that has come from a city and is is a bit fearful of sitting out by themselves overnight or you know even just for an hour sat on the grass um, by themselves there's another person from the countryside who you take them to the city and drop them off in the middle of Leicester Square and say well sit there for an hour they'd be equally as terrified so it's that it's that familiarity thing which is quite a big part of it but I think we've also been I think there's also um, I mean I want, don't want to take this down some kind of political avenue, but we are, I think we're being fed fear. And I think it does go back historically. Um, and the more separation we gained from the land because we were kind of domesticating it to grow crops or was the crops domesticating us to grow us? And that's another question, isn't it? But, um, the, you know, the more we left walking barefoot on our own in the forest. The more we left that behind us, um, the more fearful people have become. And and if you, I I just feel by spending time in that place that you are fearful of, um, yes, if there is something that might kill you there, this is a kind of a different. It's like going to be slightly different the way that you approach it. But I mean, I've I've vision quested in in New Mexico. I, I had a tarantula walk past my sleeping bags. You know, he's <laughs> like he could have bitten me. I guess, um, but he/she, I don't know. Um, but you take the dangers into consideration, and you 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 know you're you're careful. You make the precautions. But um, I think the more you empower, it's basically empowering by going and sitting in the place that you're scared of um and we're talking about natural places wild natural places then you 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 are empowering yourself by sitting there and realizing wow nothing killed me i was there for a whole hour or a whole night or four days and nights and nothing killed me that's amazing i can do it i can be out here and then once that first layer of fear is removed you know suddenly you start to build an intimacy with that place and actually it's quite subversive because in the end of it you can't be controlled by people saying well don't go into the woods at night or don't do the dark things but the interestingly what you said about fear of other humans that is one thing that comes up time and again Quite, and I take people as part of actually part of my um apprenticeship I take them for a, a mini vision quest just a 24 hours on the land and they. I don't know what you'd call it really it's not I guess not a vision quest but um you take I take people onto the land and drop them off and and that's it they've just got a sleeping bag and and, and that's it for 24 hours and some water and then they come back and one of the biggest fears that people come up with is that somebody walks past their spot that another human finds mm. them and it's Humans that they're more frightened of than anything else and when you take a human out of the natural setting so on the city street or the you know suburban town street and you put them in the forest and you're in the forest then that's really frightening I think for people that's a scary thing for people
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah I thought that we might um also tune into another piece that's on my mind a lot and that I, you know, I recognize again, kind of a complex issue, but that's our, it's our human tendency to extract and Mm -hmm. extract, meaning, um, to take or think in ways that exhibit our unconscious belief in, in human superiority. And, uh, I, I think it's particularly, um, useful to tune into how this can happen even through a well-meaning curiosity, through scientific inquiry, um, you know, even a curiosity of of like seeing a beautiful bird and following them through the woods, even though you can start to sense that it might be causing that bird some anxiety or a curiosity of like, um, you know, harvesting a certain plant an expectation of what can you do for me? Um, you know, this, this we can get lost in sort of an extractionistic behavior or thought pattern. Um, so, you know, recognizing that there's a copious amount of nuance here, um, but just tuning in to feeling a little bit more aware of how this well-meaning curiosity can sometimes cause harm.
1: Mm. As you were speaking, I was thinking about, <laughs> um, I felt like such a fool. A few years ago, I went with a group of friends. And we went to um, Svalbard, which is um, an archipelago off the top of Norway. Um, I think it's the most northerly settled place, so closest to the North Pole. Anyway, whether it is or not, it doesn't really matter. What does matter was that we were there um, a group of us and one of my friends he's a real petrol head he loves his you know vehicles and stuff and he goes oh, come on let's go on a, a snowmobile trek across the island to look for for um, polar bears and I am I was so uncomfortable anyway because I you know sat on this back of this um, snowmobile I mean you know, I was just like going so slow I got I got kind of told off by the group leader for, for kind of holding everyone else up because I was so slow at the back but finally I got to grips of driving the vehicle. But um I just thought, you know, like there's ten of us in a row driving these petrol vehicles on a slowly melting or not so slowly melting chunk of ice, which is the home to these polar bears, and they're <laughs> they're basically becoming extinct, which is why, you know. Oh, let's go and try and spot one of these creatures before the last one dies, you know, Mm -hmm. and I'm contributing to it. So, I mean, I really get what you're saying. I mean, yours was following a robin through the woodland and making him stress. I was on a snowmobile (laughs) zooming across the ice trying to find this poor polar bear, you know, and I think it's and it's the same with like dolphin trips and whale trips. You're kind of like, wow, there's a there's this fascinating other being and I'd love to go and see it and and I love I love whales I love dolphins I must go and see it and then you kind of like you're in the sea and suddenly there's 10 other boats all trying to circle this one whale or whatever so I totally totally kind of um get that we we do it don't we we you know as humans our fascination leads us suddenly into a circumstance where you really think oh no no I'm here now I you know I've i won't do it again that's one thing um you know and what what drives us to this i think it's because we you know we we are fascinated aren't we we want to have that relationship we want to have that communication um Thinking back to what you were just saying about kind of even down to harvesting a plant, um, wishing for a plant to be our medicine, asking for a plant to help us. What can you do for me? (laughs) Yeah, it's still very human centric, isn't it? I want to see that polar bear and I would like some medicine um, for my sore throat or whatever. But I think what comes underneath all of that is, um, is relationship and if it, and, and the need to build a relationship because then if you go to a plant and you're in relationship with that plant, um, perhaps you will just observe it first. Perhaps you will sit with it for a very long time before you feel invited to take the leaves or whichever part of the, the plant body that you were hoping to take. Maybe if you really wanted to see a polar bear instead of jumping on the petrol snowmobile you'd go to a little hide and you'd sit there for two or three or four or five days and hope one walks past and it's a different way of of interacting that is less um intrusive and less kind of very human takey takey mm. um, It's a it's a retraining of the way that we've been brought up you know we've been brought up to you want it you can have it as long as you've got the right amount of money, you can have whatever you like. Um, and so, therefore, we go into a more than human um, kind of arena. So, you know, into the woods, into the hills, into the meadows, we go into that place with that same mindset we were brought up with that, well, it's there, you can take it, it can be yours, rather than, um, you know, respectful, respectful relationship. So,
0: Yeah. Another, another way that I feel like this, uh, shows up something I've noticed within myself is, um, just this, this human desire to collect, you know, I, I, at one time, um, I was just noticing how my home was, was like, just so full of pine cones and beautiful leaves and animal bones and stones, just so many stones, you know, um, and to my grandmother, she uh, was an amateur uh, jeweler and she lived in the desert and collected stones. And when she went back to the earth, when she became an ancestor, I received many of her stones. So there was a period of time where I just, I felt like <laughs> it's a beautiful blessing, but I kind of, I reached a point where I, um, I realized that um i needed to start leaving these stones in in the forest and mm-hmm. by the trees and i needed to sort of be gifting them back to the earth that i was i had sort of crossed a threshold um so in the last few years i've just been working with this practice of admiring um and then kind of sharing the joy of being in for example like a beautiful stones presence like if i'm on a walk somewhere and oh there's a piece of mica and it's shining at me. It's winking at me, you know, and instead of immediately being like, pluck, you know, come home with me, um, you know, instead to just sort of share in the joy of that being's presence and then letting it be and feeling that grubby human thing of like, Ugh! but I want to you know, like bring you home <laughs> with me. Um, so, I mean, there certainly is a place for consciously working with um, like a, a stone ally uh, in some sort of really purposeful ongoing relationship. But I think for the most part, that's not really happening. And I noticed within myself that that wasn't really happening, that I wasn't having that level of awareness that I needed. And so it brings me to this question of, like, what in us feels this need to place all these bits and pieces um, around us, like, or deep within us, in our pockets, in our homes? Like, what are we really needing? What are we really longing for?
1: Hmm. Straight away, that brings me back to, to the relationship again, to to having relationship. And, bringing the like I mean I would call it bringing the outside in you know what I mean you're kind of going and seeing that pretty stone or that um flower or the stick or whatever it is and you're feeling drawn to it because you're missing that part of yourself and you're missing you're missing the river worn stones that should be underneath your feet every time you walk on the earth and you know you're missing the the beautiful sticks and the smells of the different bits of tree the pine cones and and the beautiful glinting minerals in the stones because you should be surrounded by them in a natural way of being you know fast forward fast backwards fast rewind <laughs> a long way back and I mean that was where we lived and who we'd lived among so I think I think that as a kind of as a guess I suppose but I mean that's I'm sure where A lot of this comes from it comes from wanting to surround ourselves by with our relationships but without perhaps even realizing that's what it is and and that's who they are um and so i think the more you walk along this path and the more you start to understand them as relations the more you go yeah i can enjoy you where you live and 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 i don't need to bring you back to where i live unless you." perhaps really feel like they want to come back and then maybe you sit and ask and you sit for a long time and wait for the response but for the most part you probably don't and I think this is I mean the mobile phone I mean for all the all the problems with you know having a mobile phone with you even if you've got it on flight mode maybe you could have it with you and you just take a photo of that thing instead Mm -hmm. and that can be an alternative and you can fill your life with beautiful photographs if you can't find another way to stop yourself picking things up that's that's maybe a, an option you know just to um just to do it I mean, I have got in my bathroom i oh, so many people do this, don't they? they go and pick the beautiful most beautiful shells from the seaside when they go and and then come back and put them in a basket in their bathroom <laughs> and I've got this, and luckily, I did stop i i mean I'm like you, I kind of was picking them for a while and then I was kind of why why am I doing this so now I might go to the beach and I might pick something up and I might look at it and then I've realized I've picked it up and then I try and put it back exactly where it was, as it was and say, thank you very much. And, and, you know, admire it from that position and then walk away. But um, yeah, it is definitely quite strong, the urge to do that, isn't it? Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Indeed. I feel like there's, um, I kind of have a, a final question sort of related to the same theme of extraction, um, which is the nuance and complexity of neediness. So Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer in remembering that we don't just need to go to our, our, our human friends, um, when we are, um, struggling or, in need of a good deep cry or prayer you know that we can reach out um to our local grandmother tree or um, the sky or whoever our our house plant our our cat um and be able to feel like our uh, kind of circle of support is wide um, at the same time though, I feel like we have a little bit of a tendency as humans to, to show up with a sort of cloying neediness. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I thought just sort of bringing this up as, as a, a final question around this sense of extraction, um, this sense of like living, acting, um, thinking in this way that, 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 puts us in this needy position and, and how can we be with the living world and not continually turn it into yet another consumer activity or replacement source of entertainment?
1: Mm. Mm. Well, I think we are quite needy. I think we're, we're quite, and I mean, I'm talking very generally here, um, and I'm including myself when I say we, okay, um, but we are quite damaged. The way that we've we've lived, the way that we've had these domesticated lives, and the way that we've been quite separate and so dislocated from the rest of the natural living world has has left us sick um, on, lev- you know, many levels. I'm not saying necessarily physically sick, but for many people, physically sick, but on many levels, we're unbalanced. And and we are in need of of something and so on one level i think it's okay to be needy because i believe that the rest of the natural living world and my kind of my in my my kind of big set of allies is within the plant and the mushroom realms but they tend to stand forward and say, yes, I can help, and I'd like to help, and I'd like to help you reach a place of better balance because then you will serve us better. So it's kind of, it helps, if you like, it helps them as well because they, with each human that after interaction then is more balanced and then is coming from a better place, they will behave or act better in relation to the rest of the of the natural living world so so in a sense I really don't think that the plants and and the mushrooms and the and the water really mind helping us but the other thing the other part of that is is to remember gratitude and to remember not to just go there when you've split up with your the, the love of your life or when you know you, you're just crashed your car or (laughs) when I don't know when you know something you just bet away all your money on red in Las Vegas or whatever it is you've just done that makes you feel bad in that moment is that you also go there to share your love and your gratitude because then you're giving back as well so I was um, the other day I was just I was was rushing um, and it was raining and the sky was dark grey clouds Um, but it was just by sunset and I was sort of like rushing to the shop to grab something to bring home for dinner and I kind of was in the car park coming back from the shop to my car and even though it was raining I just stopped in awe for a moment just to say thank you to the sky because the the, with the really dark grey and then this kind of bright burst of orange underneath it and the pouring rain it was just like I'm not going to rush into my car here. I need to stand here and witness this and say, thank you. And, you know, I think that, I think that brings, it brings the relationship into balance if you're going to go into the natural world and, and say, you know, I, you know, I've I've got all this trauma from this life that I've led and and most of us have, you know, we've got layer upon layer upon layer of stuff going back to infanthood. Um, And, and yes, the natural world is a, or the rest of the natural world is a is a fabulous place to find find help and find support and find solace. But you know, if you are gonna go and ask for help, then never forget to say thank you and always remember to just extend your your gratitude and your love at other times when you are feeling good or when you just notice something and you say, Oh, I could jump in that car right now and and just kind of notice it in my eye, but now I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna say thank you. And you are so beautiful and what would the world be without you? You just, you just make my heart sing.
0: I feel that to be very true in my, in my heart as well, that um, there's actually a huge amount of uh, honest, open-hearted willingness from all the beings around us um, that they want to be of support, but also that essential gratitude um, that, that opens the pathway for continued healthy relationship. So yes, indeed. yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd love to sort of gather the threads here, um, and tune in to, you know, you letting us know about any offerings that you have on the horizon or anything else that you wanted us to know about your work in the world.
1: Oh, thank you. Yes. Um, well, I guess the best place to connect with me is um, my website, which is wildguyandsoul.com. Everybody goes, Gaian, what's that? G-A-I-A-N, Um Or, as you said, my handle is Mugwork Dreamer. So on Facebook, um, Instagram, Twitter, I'm not really, I'm mainly on Instagram out of those three, but it's, on, it's at Mugwork Dreamer on all of those. And yeah, I've got a um, plant spirit mentorship coming up in April, which is online, so you know anyone from anywhere can join me on that for a five month kind of deep dive into working with plant spirits. So, so yeah, um, be great to have some some of you join me. Yeah.
0: Well, beautiful. That that sounds amazing. Um... Thank you so much, Rachel, just honoring your your teaching and sort of your, just your grounded resonance and this essential, super important work that you're doing in the world. Well,
1: thank you, Kendra. And thank you so much for having me on. It's been such a pleasure talking to you today.
0: I appreciate your willingness to sort of like wander through the mire of some of these difficult questions. Um, (laughs) but uh yeah no it was it was lovely to have you with me and thank you so much to everyone listening for spending this time with us and if it felt of benefit please do consider leaving a review or subscribing to the podcast ongoingly from whatever your preferred listening source is that way you can be notified whenever a new episode is released and may we all discover new ways while also remembering old ways of relating and being in kinship, as we continue to bring an open-armed adoration and devotion for this wild earth. And I look forward to being with you on the next episode.